Well, that was a treat, wasn't it? Yes. Sort of a, a co-written number. Uh, Michael W. Smith and Debbie C. worked together on that one for a little while. That, that was kind of funny. Come on. I thought that might get a little loud. Yeah, thank you, Ken. Yeah, I got one. All right. No, that was great. Thank you. I always want to say Mrs. Sherman because she was a teacher, and that's what we learned to call her when she was teaching. But uh, Nadine, thank you. Beautiful job. Pastor Steve's wife playing for us today. Did so well. And thank you, Will, for your good work over there. I see you back there. Yeah, good to see you. Good to be back. Glad to be with you here today. Uh, Been some interesting times. Maybe we'll be able to tell those stories as we go along. But but for today, let's just get into this. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit will come and speak to our hearts today. And that you will help us. Because we're going to need some courage to be able to press on. In Jesus' name, amen. So Pastor Bernie started a a little mini-series here uh, last Sabbath, talking on the subject of of leadership, but not technically in the sense of a person in charge of a large organization or something like that. But he was, as he talked to me, he said, I want to bring it more home to to leadership as a taking of responsibility, and in the context specifically of taking a certain responsibility for our own lives and for making decisions in our own lives that affect how our lives go. He chose for a passage today one that's extremely powerful, and we'll reflect on it in a second, but I want to encourage you that uh, one of the reasons we're on this topic is we're hosting... Uh, the Leadership Summit this week uh, that uh, we're working with some folks from Florida Hospital, bringing quite a few people. The Florida Hospital Church is bringing a group up here. And, and on Thursday and Friday here in the church, we're going to be all set up for, uh, for these uh, lectures on leadership. And uh, it's really very well done and a very good program. Uh, if you're registered for it, I hope you're looking forward to it. If you're not and you're still interested, there's still time to get registered uh, to participate in that. And you got information about that in bulletin in different places, so you can check that out. But that, that will be Thursday and Friday this week, so we, we're on this subject of leadership. In the context of that, I want to read from Philippians chapter 1 today, beginning in verse 3. Now, you're going to know the verse towards the end of this, but we're going to start in verse 3. And it says... I thank my God every time I remember you. This is Paul writing to the Philippians. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, you remember Paul, when he first went over to Macedonia, he sees that vision that says, come over to Macedonia and help us. And he goes over and he lands and he has some difficulties, but he goes to the city of Philippi, he teaches the people, that's the place where he ends up being thrown in prison, but the prison opens up, and, but there was always a special relationship he had with them, and he says, because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, and then this is the verse you probably know, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know that one, right? He who began a good work in you 
will be faithful to complete it. It's one of those passages that gives us courage, particularly when we look at ourselves and we say, this doesn't look like a job that's getting done. And we look at this with hopefulness. But what does completion mean? Is spiritual completion, is the work that God's trying to complete in us really just about us amassing a resume of great spiritual successes? What is it really all about? Well, you go a little further. You go over a couple chapters in this same book, Philippians chapter 3, and you get to a very interesting section. And in this section, Paul details a whole bunch of the stuff that makes him so special. I mean, he's a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin and, and did all these things right and, and was awesome in every way and knew everything there was to know about the law and on and on and on. But you get to verse 7 and he says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of who? Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. All of these great accomplishments, everything that made him believe he was important, all of his standing, all of his place in community, he was willing to give up for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, he says. He goes on, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. We talked about this concept recently when we were talking about frames. We were talking about the experience of salvation, the things that God does to save us and the things that God does to give us new life. We talked about that concept, the experience is all of it, but we enter the experience through faith through believing that he can do this work in us and trusting him for it. He goes on in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. That's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? This is Paul here. Paul's going all over the world telling people about Jesus, yet he still says, I want to know Christ. You know, knowing Jesus is not a little bit of knowledge that you get in your head at one point, and then you're good from there. It's a continuous experience. Just like getting to know anyone else is. It's a continuous experience. And as you change, so does the relationship. And he says, I want to know Christ. And he goes on, yes, to know the power of his resurrection... And to have everything go great for me because of that. No. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering. When was the last time you got down on your knees and said, Oh Lord, please allow me today to participate in your suffering in the world. Have you ever done that? 
Usually we get down on our knees and say, Oh Lord, spare me from hardship. But could it be that one of the only ways to really get to know Christ is to go into the world and participate in suffering? And could it be that we're missing the point of what will carry us to where we really want to be? How he who began a good work in us is going to be faithful to complete it? That in fact the way the work is completed is not when we go from easy thing to easy thing to easy thing, but rather it's completed as we move from struggle to challenge to difficulty to hardship? Could it be that that's how the work is done? To know the power of His resurrection and participate in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul was one of the good guys. Paul was an achiever. Paul got lots of things done. He worked hard for God. Therefore, God made his life easy. He never had any troubles, and it was never a challenge. Is that true? Guess that's a big lie if you've read your Bible at all. In some ways, he suffered more than any of them. He was always suffering. And what about that? Paul did a lot of stuff. He got a lot of stuff done. But is it about our spiritual attainments, about how many of these things I've done and how many of those things I've done and how much everybody respects me? Is that the work that's being completed in us? Is it about getting stuff done? Don't get me wrong. Getting stuff done is critical. If we didn't get stuff done, we wouldn't be able to have church because we wouldn't have anything done. We couldn't do it. you got to get stuff done in life. If you didn't get stuff done, y'all wouldn't look so pretty this morning because you got stuff done there in the bathroom, getting all, all pretty. If we didn't get it done, we wouldn't get anywhere. But is that what it's really about? Is church about how good I look today? Or is it about something more than that? I'm glad you look good. I think that's a good idea. Come to church looking good. I like that. Shows respect. But is that all it's about? Paul goes on in Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Really? I mean, Paul's one of the heroes, right? He's teaching people. Yet his spirit, his understanding, his heart says, You know what? I'm not there. So what does he do? He says, But I press on. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul sees this vision. He sees this vision for his life that the Son of God has taken hold of him to bring him to. He sees the vision of the work that God wants to do in his life. And he says, I'm not there, but I keep going. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. So what does Paul do? What is Paul's conscious decision in how he lives his life that's going to cooperate with the one who is completing this work? He says this, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. 
to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's a determination. Paul is determined to keep going. The goal to which God has called him to is so beautiful in his eyes that he presses on. It's a determination that I believe mirrors the determination of Jesus not just, Jesus was determined not just when the going was easy, although I'm trying to think of a time when it was ever easy for him, but he was determined not just when it was easy, but he was especially determined when things got tough. Luke chapter 13, verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, I love this response from Jesus. Jesus replied, go tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jesus was determined. You will not stop the purpose for which God has called me here. Now think about this. He is pressing on with determination for what? that they might nail him to the cross and he might die for us. Now that is determination for your goal. That's how determined Jesus was to finish the work that God gave to him. Paul was very confident that the work God had started in the Philippians was going to be completed. He goes on, Philippians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. He said, how fond he is of them. Since since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Okay, so all of them share with him in God's grace. It is by sharing in the grace of God that we find the power to press on when things get tough. The power to press on in our Christian walk is not found in the strength of our failing flesh. Instead, it's found in our power to choose to press on even when our flesh fails, believing that the God who said he will complete this work in us will be faithful to complete it. He will come to our side in our moment of need, and he will help us until we cross the line. And so no matter what happens to us, we keep pressing on, believing that he who promised is faithful. But we're weak. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. Anybody hard-pressed today? Do you feel hard-pressed today? Maybe just on one side, or maybe just a little bit? No. How about on every side? You feeling it? 
hard-pressed. What does a jar of clay do when it's hard-pressed on every side? Well, it shatters. Jars of clay have no strength unless they're filled with something powerful. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. That's a hard one. Perplexed. You don't know what you're going to do. Everything's confusing. It doesn't make sense. You can't tell right now which way to go. And therefore, I'm despairing. That's how it usually works, right? But when we've got that hope and that power in our hearts, perplexed, yes, we don't know. But not despairing. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Do you feel the tension in your own life? I'm not talking crazy psychological split personality stuff here, but, but we know it, right? You know that part of you that wants to do right, and you know that part of you that says, oh, really? Do I really need to read the Bible every day? I know what it says. They'll tell me at church. He goes on and on. Do I really have to do it myself? Do I really have to be nice to mean people? Do you know the conflict? Do I really have to feed the family every day? It's hard. It's so hard to choose what's best. But you never have it if you don't choose. Remember that text that says, there is no temptation that's befallen you that's not common to man. But God is faithful. And with it, he will give a way of escape. You know, I've lived this in my life. I... I've had a lot of strong temptation, and it's come on me, and every time God has given me a way of escape, and sometimes I take it, and it's so good when you escape. But here's the thing, you can sit in a room and have the place on fire, and someone can say, the door's over here, but what do you got to do? Got to get up and go out the door. You got to choose it. A way of escape. So the Olympics are starting, you probably know this. There's opening ceremonies yesterday, and the soccer tournament's already started, and there's been all these promos, and you see all these amazing athletes in the promos doing their flips and their dives and their running and all that, and it's inspirational, isn't it? And so I was watching it, and I got kind of excited, and so I thought, I think I want to be an Olympic athlete, so I, uh, I bought myself a ticket to Rio. I'm leaving right after church. I'm headed down. And I'm going to get there, and I'm just going to walk right out there onto the track, and I'm going to run. Is that how it works? Well, it doesn't quite work like that, does it? There's a little more to being invited to be a part of the Olympics than watching it on TV and saying, that looks fun, I think I'll go down there and do it. Well, the same thing goes for following Jesus. You've got to go after it like a prize you desire. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. 
Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Are you running with that kind of intensity and intentionality? Are you just wandering around in this life of faith? Now here's the thing, you could kind of get the wrong idea from this passage that that we're all in this race together and only a few of us, the ones that win, you know, as long as I'm faster than you, I'm probably okay. No, it's not like that. This is a race against yourself. This race that you're in is against yourself. And you're running against all those other things in you that would have dominion over you. And you're running to Jesus. You're running to become what he's calling you to be. It takes commitment and determination to finish. Ellen White wrote, recorded in the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, the Christian life is a battle and a march. Sometimes we lose track of that because we haven't necessarily been in the military, but a battle is one kind of an effort where you're fighting in the battle. A march is another kind of effort. The battle is short-term intensity with a high amount of energy used. A march is that boring thing that goes on forever, trying to get there to the fight. The Christian life is both. It's those moments of intensity, and it's those long periods where you're just marching. You're just moving. The Christian life is a battle and a march, but the victory to be gained is not won by human power. The field of conflict is the domain of the heart. The battle which we have to fight, the greatest battle that was ever fought by man, is the surrender of self to the will of God. The yielding of the heart to the sovereignty of love. Choosing to allow Him to complete the work in you. You have to keep fighting. Even when it's hard. You must press on. Even when you have every reason to quit. Sometimes it seems to go real smoothly. Sometimes everything breaks down. You find out what you're really all about when it breaks down. Do you still believe he who began the work can complete it? Will you still press on to the finish? A few years back at the Olympics, there was an event that took place. It was a powerful witness to the desire of the human heart to continue and the love of the Father for a son. I want you to see a video here, and you'll see this story in miniature of something that took place some years ago at the Olympics.
you know which one is you, right? You were running. You were looking good. It was going great. You were going around the corner. Your life's dream. You're headed. But Ecclesiastes says the race isn't always to the swift or the battle to the strong. For chance happens to us all. But what do you do when your life dream looks like it just fell apart in front of you? Do you just give up? I love the way he can't even, can't even walk anymore, but he gets up. I came here to do this race. I'm doing the race. Next time you feel like you've been knocked down and there's no chance, get back up and get going again, and your Father will be at your side. And He will take hold of you, and He will help you to the end, and anybody that comes to try to get in your way, He will shoo away. (laughs) And you will cross the line. Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So what does winning the race of faith look like? Well, it's all about abounding more and more in what matters most. And what is it that matters most? Philippians 1, verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What happens? What does victory in this work that God is doing in us look like? Well, we begin to abound with love more and more. And that abounding in love makes us wise. It changes how we see each other. You remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how we no longer view each other from a worldly point of view. This is abounding in love. It changes us. We see each other differently. And it gives us knowledge and depth of insight. And then that enables us to choose not just what's good, but what's best. And that makes us pure and blameless for the day of Christ and filled with righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So my question for you today as we close, are you pressing on? I know life is filled with challenges and curves and turns and difficulties and torn hamstrings and whatever else. But don't give up. Keep pressing on. And your Father will be there. Because He has promised to complete in you the work He has begun. And if you've gotten discouraged, or if you're in suffering, understand what you're doing right now is sharing in the suffering of Christ. And these are the things that are completing His work in you. So keep fighting, keep pushing, 
And it may be in the midst of your faithfulness, in the midst of the struggle, someone who's discouraged and got off the track and is just standing there feeling miserable, sees you limping by, will say, I can do this, and they will come back too. And it is perhaps by your suffering that you will be responsible for more in the kingdom than your greatness ever achieved. But you've got to accept responsibility for your life and your choices and your service to God. You've got to commit yourself to His purpose. You will only succeed by His grace, but you must choose it. And sometimes that will be really hard. I'm not very good at saying no to myself. I got pretty good at saying no to the children sometimes. But man, talk about a whiner inside. Say no to myself. Oh, whine, whine, whine. It's hard. But you got to learn to do it. Because that's part of pressing on. That's part of living the life that God has called you to. And it is how you will abound more and more. And He will complete His work in you. Say yes to Jesus. Press on. Trust in God. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we believe that you will be with us. And we put our faith in you and we trust that Jesus has done everything that we might be saved. And now we are pressing onward in the life of faith and we're encountering challenges, but we're not giving up. We're pressing on in faith, knowing that even if you have to carry us, you will make certain we cross the line and that the work in us is finished. We put ourselves completely in your hands. We yield to your spirit. And we press on. In Jesus' name, amen.